Hello everyone, it's Kathy. Um, welcome to another episode of Drawing a Dialogue. I am one of your co-hosts. I just wanted to come on here and start recording a new introduction, just a little quickie. Um, so I'm recording this October 21st, 2020. We recorded this episode that you're about to listen to in August 2020. And you see, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, what you are going to hear momentarily is our introduction when we talk about the stresses and the anxieties of being an educator um, during a global pandemic, right? Um, we are literally about to explain to you how stressful it was. And you know what? We recorded this before the school year started. So as you can imagine, the stresses of the school year only became amplified once the school year started. So we have been on a bit of an unplanned hiatus. We are taking care of ourselves. We're doing our jobs. We're doing what we need to do. Um, and we are so sorry. And thank you so much for sticking with us in this unplanned hiatus. We are happy to be back with this episode we are going to keep you posted. You can follow us on Draw a Dialogue on Twitter uh, to keep us, you know, stay updated. But I just want to let you know that, you know what, this is just life. It is a pandemic. It's very stressful. We're in it together. And you know what, shout out to other educators who are holding down the fort. It's really hard. Um, and so thank you so much for listening and on to the episode. Johnson. And I am Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing and Dialogue, we put comics into historical and educational contexts. My segment explores theoretical and historical analyses of our topic. And I talk about our topic through the lens of pedagogy and education with a focus on practical application. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out in addition to self-published works, including my new comic, Black Hole Heart. You can get it at my website. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a master's degree in art education. I'm a PhD student at the University of Florida's English program. Um, my research focuses on gender uh, critical prison studies and museum studies. I also make self-published comics, and I also have a master's degree in English now. So. Yes, that's new. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you started writing this intro, so I'm going to give it to you. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be like a kind of gentle, casual episode for us because one, it's back to school and we're going to talk, I think, super briefly about that. And also I've been moving for like a month because I had a two week gap in between my leases. Um, and my roommate and I are both disabled, so we have to like kind of move in really small uh, yeah. short bursts mm -hmm. um so ev everything in my life is currently kind of chaos um so we're gonna talk about our favorite comics and the comics that like mean a lot to us and have inspired us yeah yeah we came up with this topic 
I don't know, months ago. And I can't remember the actual inspiration for it. It was pro- it was just like a conversation on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. pe- thinking about what was influential to us. But also like, so uh, what was influential and what does influential necessarily mean? Because um, yeah. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like influential can mean copying, which I don't think is what we are coming from. Right. I w- was going to touch on back to school stuff. It just um, I just wanted to briefly mention it during the introduction because I feel like it is the elephant in the room. Honestly, I don't know how Remus is feeling, but I I don't think I've felt more stress and anxiety in my life <laughs> at all ever. Yeah. <laughs> No, like, it's it bad. Is, it is so, like, sometimes I think I'm going to pass out from how stressed out I am. Yeah. Oh, well, this summer I tried teaching in person for a week at a summer camp, and there were two kids, and it was so stressful, I cannot mm-hmm. even tell you. And it's not that I'm, like, I'm afraid that we all have COVID, because I feel like we actually handled it very well. It was Mm -hmm. because I was there with these kids for almost five solid hours and five solid hours of obsessively watching kids and making sure you sanitize every single thing they touch and that Mm -hmm. they stay six feet away from two people. This was literally two children and they were both very, (laughs) very sweet. (laughs) But it was from being so Mm -hmm. stressed out for five solid hours every day Mm -hmm. it really it really um listen if you're an educator and your school is opening do a lot of self-care i cannot even tell you Mm -hmm. (laughs) how stressful it is yeah and and like my i'm um i'm staying remote my department um university of florida is reopening despite uh a lot of effort to try to get them to not reopen reopen to in person yeah it's they're doing a mix of like they're doing i think majority remote or what they're calling hybrid which apparently also just means remote but i think is a way to get them to get kids to come back to campus um Mm. but like there are like certain classes that they insist can't be done And, and like I, I don't know. It's complicated, but they uh, recently basically just came out and said that they're not going to change the reopening plan, even if student or um, staff or faculty get sick and die. So mm. um, I'm <laughs> I'm very – like, I'm lucky that I can stay remote. I'm teaching online. I don't have to go to campus. But, like, for people who don't live sort of in a t- – like – when I say Gainesville is a college town, I don't mean in the way that like provinces where there's like universities and there's university areas, right? But it's still also like a city where people live, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously like people who are local to Gainesville, but like the majority of the population is the college and the whole city yeah. runs on the college's schedule. Um, so even if I'm like not teaching in person, it's unavoidable because like yeah mm-hmm. the the like they've already like everyone basically left in march and now they're coming back and like already like there's way more people we're seeing like a spike in cases like it's just it's it's like even though i feel very fortunate that i don't have to teach in person it's still like the people who are teaching remote are still being put in danger like people who aren't associated with the teaching at all are still being put in danger so the whole thing's just like yeah. very frustrating and upsetting and scary 
Yeah. And my school is doing uh, hybrid learning as well. Hybrid is definitely the new um, catchy word to use. Yeah. <laughs> and there isn't a true definition for it. For us, it's like blended learning. So basically half on campus, half mm-hmm. uh, remote, half at home, basically. And so I'm still sort of figuring out my spot in that. I'm going to mm-hmm. find out next week. But it is, I mean, we aren't a city, right? We're like in a pretty isolated area. Yeah. But we have kids who sometimes travel like an hour. I travel yeah. an hour and a half, right? So like mm-hmm. they're coming from other areas uh, to school. So it just it's still very much a risk. And like part of the issue is planning, right? It's like yeah. very strange. I've been talking to other professors mostly, not because um, I'm a high school teacher, but I've yeah. been talking <laughs> to other professors who have these like schedules that are like really like well thought out but they're they're very confusing like I have a very confusing schedule and it's really hard to figure out how to plan your lessons at all yeah (laughs) it's like very very overwhelming yeah and even like like I said I'm like I'm not teaching in person at all but like I'm doing a mix of like asynchronous so just like stuff online that they can kind of do on their own time and Uh like synchronous sessions during what would be our like which is like when we meet over zoom um and it's like it's so different to plan an online class than it is to plan a class in person that it's like yeah. so much you can extra plan labor. on the, you can teach on the fly I mean a lot of us yeah. have lesson plans for every day but you go in and you sort of vibe with the class and you kind yeah. of move with the energy in the room yeah it's yeah very, like a lot of my different. a lot of my lesson plans are just like notes of like the key things I need to hit because I do discussion a lot of like discussion classes and yeah you have to sort you have to do like a, a, a very different sort of planning so it's just um be it's nice a lot of pre-planning, to the teachers it's a lot of coding <laughs> <laughs> be nice to all of the teachers in your life yeah. please if you're a student please be patient with them because we're all doing our best I actually think something that really looms large is the fact that if we are feeling so anxious, imagine having, I don't know, a five class load yes. right now. Yeah. Like, and every teacher is doing something different. Like, it always, like, because faculty are being communicated to more. We always get communicated mm-hmm. to more than fa- students and families. And so, like, if you're anxious, I feel like s- students are, like... 10 times as anxious oh, as yeah. I am every time because I'm like I'm so anxious and I'm unprepared and then I see them and they're so confused and I'm like oh okay mm-hmm. I actually know more about what's going on than my own students and we are in this together yeah for sure you know yeah so I just wanted to touch on that because that is very much what's looming large and something that we usually talk about but we are yeah we're doing something a little bit different and we are just talking about our favorite comics today and Remus is going first yeah um do you want to kind of go because I have like a list but I don't need to talk I'm not going to talk about like literally everything I listed I just wanted to remind myself what I like um do you want to like go back and forth or do you want to just like why don't we do high school you do high school I do high school yeah and then you can do early career I like that that's fun okay cool okay yeah um so like it's like very funny to talk about like comics I liked when I was a teen because like I'm like because I'm autistic I sometimes don't like process um what I what I like or what I'm doing or like how I feel about stuff until like way later um and Mm. I like I was in art an arts program for middle and high school and they were super strictly like anti-manga anti-anime and then like a little bit anti-cartooning so even though I was like definitely actively reading like manga as a kid as a teen um I just 
like if you look at like my old DeviantArt entries and stuff like that, I insist that I didn't like it. Like just like <laughs> pure cognitive dissonance. Um, so it's like hard for me to like parse, out, like remember like what like my like early influences are. Technically, my first comics were like Harry Potter fan comics on LiveJournal. <laughs> um, the first people- comics you ever made or you ever read? Read. Oh, okay. Like, read in earnest. I mean, I read, like, the Sunday Funnies and stuff like that, but, like, sought out and read because there was this, like, thriving community before uh, LiveJournal, back when LiveJournal was, like, big, right? And for our younger listeners, LiveJournal is, like, um, a blogging website. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was, like, early, it was, like, before Tumblr where you could write long posts. Yeah. But um, there was, like, a community of, like, uh, people who would just make comics about um, like Harry Potter and they were like all very different. So that was like sort of my first ones and I still think very fondly of those. I, when I first got into comics in like a real active way, it was actually via Watchmen, which I feel like is embarrassingly normie of me. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't read it, so I don't know. <laughs> it's Watchmen's like, the, you know, like the, every, the, the like Alan, the big Alan Moore, like everyone. I mean, part of why it's just so popular is that it's a comic that does stuff that people have never seen before. You know, it yeah. like subverts expectations. I mean, yeah. I have that with like, I loved Animal Man. If you don't know anything about Animal Man, it like breaks the fourth wall a lot. <laughs> and, it, and it like talks about the absurdity of super heroes which i think yeah. watchman also does talking about yeah. that absurdity I, so i have you know i read like what's it called trans metropolitan is that one um yeah i f- i feel like i know that title yeah you know edgelord stuff <laughs> Edge- yeah edgelord stuff of course um and um i did like manga like i like in middle school like i was super into orin um and i feel like that probably was pretty influential on like my sense of humor like I have like a thing for very like absurd kind of um because Oran High School Host Club is like a, a a kind of like a satire of very like shoujo tropes, right? Because it's like Oran Host Club, right? That's its whole name. Oran High School Host Club, yeah. Oran High School Host Club. It's like a reverse ha- harem, right? So like, yeah, there's yeah. a girl and like lots of boys instead of a boy with lots of girls. Yeah, and it also is it's like a reverse. <laughs> because harem. there's two genders. <laughs> the two genders. Well, but it's also like the main character the girl main character also like is introduced. Like tomboy. She she dresses as a guy and like half the time is referred to as a guy and is very like ambivalent about her gender. Yeah. Which makes sense that all of my friends who are now gay and trans, all of us were like, This is so good. <laughs> 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 I feel like it came out so another thing is that me and Remus are like a uh, four years age difference right yes. so I feel like we have like like a generational like Oren Host Club definitely came out when I was like older <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but um the 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 two like big titles I think in terms of like influence right um are uh there was this korean uh bl boys love tragedy like tragic comic right uh like it was like a sad story um called let die by uh Won soyeon it's um d-a-i yes. not d-i yes i might be yeah <laughs> just, just to be clear. yeah um and it's it's like i read that in middle school um i definitely don't think it's appropriate for middle schoolers but it it, it was so like i i i think like 
I'm I'm a person who's very into like tragedy and like tragic romances, especially and like things not working out <laughs> and like angst. Um, <laughs> and it's very much it's about like um, this boy who ends up getting involved with this other boy who's like the leader of a gang, I think, or involved in a gang. And like it's very like angsty and like um uh like dramatic and it ends with them like they get separated and then like it ends with them like meeting up like as adults like years later um it's like it wasn't like super popular i honestly have no idea how i found it i think i was like just reading a lot of like bl (laughs) at the time honestly like going going through people's like was it published or just online um it was i mean i read it online um so i don't know okay but that that definitely like <laughs> I still like think about it right so that's like a huge one in terms of influence in terms of like that like early sort of like oh this is the kind of like sad narrative I really love and then after I had and that was pre-Watchmen right so that was before I considered myself like into comics so again that's sort of like weird cognitive dissonance of like <laughs> I have toured this like manhwa this manga and just like did not connect it at all to the fact that I liked comics or whatever <laughs> and then in high school, so after after I got into Watchmen, um, it t- the timing was such that like I got into Watchmen, I started to get into like um, superhero comics because those are sort of like for me those were like the easiest ones to get into at first, um, just because there's like so many of them, right? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. If you, I feel like for a lot of us, if you read superhero comics, it's just because you loved comics and they were accessible. yeah. It's like you go to the comic book store and you just grab a bunch of random like I like the Flash, I'll just buy like six Flash comics. Um, and so I got a, a, a scholarship to a pre-college program at University of the Arts, and I t- signed up to take, like, all comic classes. So when I was in Philly for the first time, you know, sort of, like, really for the first time engaging with comics as, like, a thing I could do, um, I would just, like, sort of walk to South Street to Atomic Comics, um, shout-outs to Atomic Comics and South Street, and just, like, buy anything Aww. I thought looked cool. Um, and that's when I started getting so- sort of more into, like, alternative and indie stuff as opposed to, uh, like, superheroes, right? And I picked up yeah. I Kill Giants, which is by Joe Kelly and J.M. Ken Nomura. Um, entirely just, like, I thought it was really nice. Like, the way that J.M. Kim Nomura draws is really beautiful. He's still, like, one of my favorite artists. He has, like, a very sort of, like, loose kind of manga-inspired style. But, like, it, thematically, mm. it ended up so, like... <laughs> um, this like the reason this book sort of imprinted on me so hard is that I the the summer I did pre college was actually like right after my mother died, um, and I Kill Giants is a story mm. about a girl who's losing her mother to cancer, and the way she kinds of deals with it is by like engaging on these fantasies where she's fighting giants, and so like I had no idea mm. that's what it was about. I just got it because it looks nice, <laughs> and then it was like the perfect book at the perfect moment. Um, like I Kill Giants is definitely, I have three copies of it, (laughs) because every time they come. Aww. Is it just single graphic novel? It wasn't a series? Um, I think it was released as a series at first. It's Image. And I think back when they used it, because it came out in 2008 and they were still doing more. But there's only one collection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they actually came out with a movie recently based on it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. I just found it looking it up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, like, it's, like, interesting when you talk about influence, because it's not, like, I don't think it's that I ever want to, like, make something that looks like that or feels like that, because it's not really, like, 
yeah. the kind of story I want to that I like to tell, right? But like just that like lightning moment, I guess, of like having found it at such a perfect time and having it like so deeply imprinted on me because of that mm. is like the the thing about that, right? Um so that's sort of oh, and I guess because I got into uh comics via Watchmen, I went through a huge Alan Moore phase, um, where I just sort of acquired and read like anything Alan Moore wrote. Um, and I still have like a soft spot for Alan Moore as a result. Um <laughs> I think he's I think he's okay to have a soft yeah, spot for. He's like I don't know. he's just like a curmudgeonly dude like dude who lives like with it's like I think just him and his wife like out in the countryside, like wants nothing to do with DC or Marvel or any of the companies anymore. Like yeah. I respect that. <laughs> he wants nothing to do with them and they keep making movies and then he I mean, I don't know. I was told this by a professor when I was like 16, but he doesn't, he refuses money yeah. from his IPs because they stole from yeah, him. He, yeah, his, they like exploited him pretty terribly and he was just like, I'm done with this. And so like, yeah, I yeah. just have a lot of respect for him for like sticking to his um, ethics. You know what I mean? About like. Yeah. Which you can do when you're a millionaire. But- yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it's not, you know, he's written some kind of whack things, but like. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He has written some whack things with his wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we, we want people to tweet us to correct us? I don't know. We aren't too mainstreamy. No. Me and Remus. So if we aren't getting all the gossip correct, uh, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to write in a, with your Alan Moore dissertation, like, feel free. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I will definitely read all of them. We might not respond, <laughs> but yeah and it's like i don't know if you should be keeping this right <laughs> no it's funny <laughs> i yeah and it's just like it's so funny to me because like a lot of the way that i interact with media especially when i was younger is to, was to like code really hard with the characters so like you know i still have like this huge soft spot for all of these like superhero sidekick characters even though like i don't read mainstream comics i don't really care for them <laughs> it's just like the idea of the characters like makes me happy so <laughs> like Mm. what about you okay so i guess i'll talk about my um early comics i sort of wrote down high school stuff but remus went even further back so i figured i would say i've talked about this before it's in my master's thesis on how i got interested in comics but the first comics i read when i was a kid are archie and sonic because they were basically the only kids comics in the 90s because the 90s was really gritty Mm -hmm. i always call out spawn as like it's like uh, either Archie or Spawn, <laughs> like dripping blood on every page, and so like it was like the the decision to of what to read was uh, made for me. <laughs> um, and then I pretty much bought the very first published translation of Sailor Moon, like day it came out. Like I, like I've looked back in the timeline, and I'm like I own like the very first. <laughs> it was like I was just standing at the comic store, staring at the comics shelf, waiting. For something that was made for me to appear on. <laughs> and then so, like, Sailor Moon showed Sailor up. Sailor Moon. Yeah. Like Sailor Moon 1997. Like I bought. I had them all. I read them. I loved them. I copied them constantly. Um, also the Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Pokemon manga before Ash Ketchum. Yeah. Bef- right, yeah. Was actually starred red. Because mm-hmm. it was like red and blue. Because that's what the original Game Boy games. That's what the characters were called at red and blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's who starred in the 
Pokemon manga. And so I don't know if that manga was super influential. Um, it was definitely a Sailor Moon. Um, <laughs> but then Archie and Sonic. I feel like Archie is still like that um, cast, like that big cast. Yeah. Um, what's it called when you have like a lot of people? An ensemble? It's like the, an ensemble cast. <laughs> you do <laughs> like an ensemble cast. <laughs> I do like an ensemble cast, and I think that's, like, I feel like Archie is, like, fully embedded into my mind. I realize, like, I work in, like, middle grade and high school comics, which love to focus on, like, the one main character protagonist, like, the one Harry Potter, and they, like, super love to overfocus on one character. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm always like, I want to know what everyone's doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone is interesting. Um, And I think that's probably Archie-inspired. Uh, so that's like elementary, middle school. But in high school, um, I started getting comic zines, right? Yeah. So in high school, I was in high school from 2003 to 2007. I frequented a comic shop in Minneapolis called the Source Comics and Games, which is still there. They've moved from Minneapolis. They're like in Rosedale now. Um, but they're wonderful. I go visit all the time. And they were probably the first... I used to go to other, another game store, but it just wasn't welcoming to little girls, mm. basically. Like, so many comic shops. Again, another thing that has had dissertation after dissertation written about right, it, yeah. right, is the gatekeeping of the masculine gatekeeping of comic book stores. But this one was, it was run by all men, but they were really, really welcoming to people who were not white men. Okay. Um, So I felt really welcome there. And so they carried all sorts of different comic zines. So zines like self-published, like little pamphlets, um, which I realize zines have shifted definition. (laughs) Um, Zines are, for me, were very crappy, Xeroxed, Mm -hmm. stapled, folded, self-published comics. Like they were not very fancy. You printed them yourself at the FedEx store or whatever. And so there were all sorts of different comic zines made by local artists at the source. Um, it was near the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. So my guess is a lot of them were came from those students and alumni. Yeah. But I honestly have no idea because <laughs> I was a child right. and I don't know where things came from. They just appeared, which is why I always thought it was so cool. Um, so, like, I really wanted to make my own comic zine, so I started doing that in high school, and I would sell them to the source, because they bought everything up front. Um, so, a lot of places don't do that. A lot of a lot of places would, like, you give them your zine, and then in eight months to a year, you email them and desperately try to call them, and they eventually PayPal you, like, $8, <laughs> right? So... <laughs> distribution if you've never destroyed your own stuff it's a pain in the butt but the source actually would buy everything up front they would buy a few copies of your zine um and they would pay half the full price right so they would get half the price but only after they sold it uh they were really cool so they had all sorts of zines and they weren't very picky right they would buy anything they were really supportive so i bought all sorts of stuff but this one uh you can't see it at all i think we'll (laughs) take photos i'm gonna ask remus to take photos too i think there will be photos on the website drawingadialogue.com um and you can see pictures of these because you're not going to be able to find this anywhere um it's called go down swinging round one it's by studio whipping boy (laughs) a very questionable name um from 2004 
Um, so it's a black and white zine. It's 24 pages or so. Um, and the story is about two bikers who meet at a truck stop bar. Um, they get into a fist fight and then take a motorcycle back to one of their crappy apartments and they make out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spicy. <laughs> and it's, it's very spicy. It's, it's like reading it now, like they like barely kiss. But at the time I was like, whoa, <laughs> right. Um, so it's like, <laughs> it's sort of smacks of that sort of early 2000s fantastical idea mm-hmm. of gay men that female creators would yeah. have. Like they were inspired by gay manga, which is a trope that I think we've talked about in the past in the comics community, where there is a lot of more awareness now around like responsible depictions of people whose lives may be different from our own. Right. Um, <laughs> but this one has like a weird concept of what gay men are like. <laughs> like the cover is them like arm wrestling, <laughs> like, 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 like them like confronting their own masculinity while being hot for each other too. Which was great when I was thirteen years old. Yeah, and <laughs> I feel like I got I got a lot. Um, I I got a lot of that like fan that the, what you said like the fantastical gay men kind of thing through like fan fiction yeah. <laughs> was like yeah fan fiction is like sort of the number one place where you can find pretty guilty parties for um writing middle aged gay men like they're like teens and yeah <laughs> <laughs> like don't know what to do <laughs> or something you know what I mean yeah yeah. Like, rather than, like, adults who have definitely experienced certain things and have a lot more self-confidence than that. Um, or something. I don't know. But that being said, really, this was truly a treasure to me. Um, I must have been 13 when I got it. And I remember um, you could kind of find gay comics on the internet. Mm-hmm. But this was clearly by people who lived near me. If they sold their zine to my local comic shop, I've never met them. But there's, like, this personal connection and power that zine have that kind of goes beyond what's possible on the internet like i knew these people must have lived close to me you know yeah these people who are telling gay stories lived in my town you know like it was like really quite special um which is why i've owned it now for 16 years um And then um, another comic series I wanted to talk about, and I did, by the way, I did look up Studio Whipping Boy. They have a website. I think, I mean, who knows if you actually sent money to this website, if you would get this <laughs> comic in the mail. Um, <laughs> they're clearly still paying a subscription on StudioWhippingBoy.com. So if you wanted to check it out, it's actually quite beautiful. You can tell, I definitely think they're MCAD or they went to the local cop art school like they it's definitely like technically capable like it's very quite beautiful actually um and then the next one that i wanted to talk about is the natural world by damian J. I have number one through three it's from 2008 to 2010 so this goes a little bit past high school but um so these are dated right after i graduated high school so it must have gotten them when i was visiting home during college um i'm pretty sure they're from minnesota or maybe chicago or baltimore i'm not really sure where i bought these i think he damien J. I think he was distroing a little bit more mm-hmm. um so what the natural world is it's a medieval slice of life comic Ooh. it's like that got that classic six panel square structure on his page um, which breaks from time to time every once in a while. And then it's also ink and um, ink pen and grayscale marker. And it has a screen printed cover, right? Which was like peak zine quality. If you had a screen printed cover. 
it was like the epitome. Now they're like all glossy and digital printed, but at the time, screen printed covers were very fancy. Um, so I thought that was super cool because I am also a screen printer. And each r- issue was written as it was going. So like with zine notes from the author. So there was like some personal writing within the zine, which is also sort of the classic of why zines are really cool is they feel really personal. Like you're th- they're talking directly to you as a reader. Um, and the story has a mentally disabled man at in the center of the story, which perhaps isn't the most sensitive depiction, but um, the story focuses on witches, villagers, and bandits, and it's but it's not too dramatic. It's like a very relaxed comic. <laughs> I like really quite loved it um, because it was so weird and strange. And what I really loved about this comic were the zine elements. I loved how the zines became their own universe. Um, they seemed really simple and complex at the same time, which I think is what one zines are at their finest. So again, also Damien J. I think he is working in animation now. Again, he hasn't updated a website in a long time. He has <laughs> doesn't have updated social media. Right. I think he's in animation now. Um, but again, he has a website. And in theory, maybe if you sent money to that website, you can get these 12-year-old comics. I don't know. <laughs> so... I figured it was uh, valuable to give them shouts out whether or not you could actually fulfill getting these comics or not. But I actually think you can read it online. I think he has it for free online for you to read. Um, And then, do you have anything to say about that? Oh, it's like, yeah, as you were talking, I started thinking about my zines again. So I got <laughs> the boxes like right next to me. <laughs> so, like, I just, um, it's so interesting. Like you mentioned the like age gap between us. Um. Because, like, I mean, I, I don't want to say I that zines weren't, like, a thing when I was a teen. Because sh- they still were. Just not in, like, the area I was, to my knowledge, I guess. Mm. But, like, I didn't really get into zines until I was in um, college, right? Until I started going to sh- comic shows and getting them from people. Um, yeah. I feel like I was getting into them when they were still sort of this messy thing where like a zine could be a comic zine or it could be like half comics half personal writing like it might not just be our age difference but it also might be yeah regional like i feel like minneapolis has like a zine history and also like a punk history so like it was more around. Yeah, I would say the, the like the 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 comic store that was near me um, in South Florida, where I lived um, in Palm Beach County, because I know Miami has like a big zine scene. Um, and it was mm-hmm. was like just mainstream, um, and then like some alt stuff that was like bigger alt stuff, um, and like they didn't, and then like merch and games, right? Like it was more like that kind of thing. It wasn't really. Um, they didn't have like a zine section um, yeah. that I could have. And there's a reason whenever I talk about my comics history, I always 100% shout out the source every single time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would be a very different person if that wasn't in my life when I was a kid, you know? And also, like, my dad bringing me there. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, shouts out dad. Love you. And then I have two uh, graphic novels that were like really important to me in high school. Um, the first one, and also incredibly influential. Like, if you think about my work, 
you you and then you think about these gra- graphic novels you would just be like ah oh, yes i see that i see <laughs> i understand um the first one is lost at sea by brian leo malley oh um i unfortunately i gave away my original because they came out with this hardcover 10-year anniversary edition so i was like i'm just gonna get the 10-year anniversary edition and i'm gonna give away the original graphic novel i had and now i'm like why would i do that but also i probably just wanted some i don't know who i gave it to but i'm sure i just wanted someone to read it um so what this is is it's like slice of life teens who just graduated high school are just sort of driving around california or canada or something and literally all they're doing is driving around and talk and having existential crises (laughs) and talking and thinking and the main character calls herself emo a lot and like they're just driving around and getting lost and staying in random hotels and going to diners and stuff and I just love it so much. And part of what was so great about it is it was slice of life. And it was like, I mean, nowadays there's lots of slice of life comics for middle schoolers, right? Yeah. Like there's like, like Raina Telgemeier wasn't, she was also growing up at this time, right? So like she hadn't made her comics yet. So slice of life comics were all slice of life for manga for japan right, right? they yeah. weren't our slice of life <laughs> like <laughs> because it was like we don't i d- i wasn't wearing high school uniforms and like all the experience that was for natural for the everyday life of the japanese high schoolers in the comics i was reading so when i read this for the first time i was like it wasn't relatable then but then since the entire thing is about a road trip every summer after high school um like i think my sophomore junior and senior years i would get my two friends Caitlin and Tessa, hi guys. Um, and the three of us would go on road trips around. I grew up in Minnesota, so we would drive to literally Iowa and Nebraska and visit nothing. Just visit cornfields. <laughs> like, like there's nothing out there. But it's so wonderful to just visit like small towns. Yeah. Like, literally towns of 400 people, like farming communities. And like that's what we would do every summer just because I was copying this book. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you like really want to watch a read a deeply influential book, Brian Lee O'Malley's Lost at Sea. And another thing is, so there was another local comic book shop in Minneapolis that I will not name because um, I'm about to drag them. <laughs> but they, I used to go in because this was before there was a lot of internet stuff, right? So I knew Brian Lee O'Malley was starting to work on a new comic called Scott Pilgrim and I knew it was going to be coming out. So I went to this unnamed comic book shop and I was like, you should order this comic because I really want to read it. And he was so dismissive of me (laughs) like he was like you're just like a weird teenage girl this comic is not gonna be any like like he was like no i'm not gonna order that comic for you and now good sir your shop is closed and scott pilgrim was gigantic you fool (laughs) that i know that is so funny in retrospect because scott pilgrim is like this huge (laughs) cultural phenomenon And he refused. He was like, no, that's stupid. I don't want to believe you, little girl. And now. Scott Pilgrim is very different from Lost at Sea, by the way. The characters are very similar, but Lost at Sea stars a girl, you know, and that's sort of like a... So that one was really important. I won't babble so much about the second one. Uh, Anyway, if you've read 
my first graphic novel, uh, Jeremiah. It's about a teenager in corn, and that's very much because I wanted to be like lost at sea, and I drove into cornfields when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like ABC influence because I wasn't like I wasn't Jeremiah isn't copying Lost at Sea at all, right. but it's because of Lost at Sea that I had experiences that I made into Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And then the second graphic novel that I'm going to talk, talk about is uh, Garage Band by the Italian cartoonist GP, uh, G-I-P-I. So Garage Band is about some teenagers and they start a band and then they like steal an amp and they get in trouble and their parents are kind of mad at them and there's like a girl and then like some other stuff happens. <laughs> And, like, that's, like, obviously that's my favorite. Like, all my comics are, like, you know, some teens and some stuff happens. That's, like, totally my favorite thing in the world. Also, a lot like Archie. Um, And so, like, it's just a bunch of teens. But the art, if you've never seen Jippy's art, he has such a loose, beautiful pen style. And also, this um, one, GarageBand, is watercolor and it's so beautiful and loose and natural and I loved it so much and you can definitely tell its aesthetic um, influence on all my work honestly. (laughs) I think I love watercolor because of this book. I mean I was watercoloring before but like I feel like whenever you talk about influence it's like you were already if something really meant a lot to you you were probably already there with a lot of stuff yeah (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) so like even if you can you read this book and you're like oh this is a lot like her watercolor work i also was watercoloring before that (laughs) not not to downplay how pivotal this book was to me yeah it was quite pivotal no that makes sense yeah and then so this is about teens i do want to just like quickly make the internet aware so this is about teens in bands and if you know anything about punk there is like sort of a nasty white supremacist Mm -hmm. um section of punk so one of the characters is sort of like into nazi imagery and then all his friends are mad at him about it (laughs) so i just wanted to make our listeners aware that that is in this book but also his friends are pissed about it so that's an unfortunate part of history of punk, but that's what it is. Your turn. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Have you seen any of these comics? Are these new to you? Yeah, they are. Um, well, not Lost at Sea, but the um, Garage Band. Garage Band. I feel like I've seen other work by Jippy, maybe? He has another book out called uh, Notes for a War Story, which also came out at around the same time with First Second. Mm -hmm. And then his new one is um, Land of the Suns, which came out from Fantagraphics, I think, last year. That one's quite upsetting. But also, I feel like Jippy is one of those cartoonists who continues to be really meaningful to Mm -hmm. me. So even though he makes kind of upsetting by upsetting, I mean it like has a lot of violence and death in it. Um, but I'm I'm sort of attracted to that, to be honest. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. It, it, well, it, that because he's Italian too. That also reminded me of a book I had nearly forgotten about. Um, that uh, is like it just sort of lives in my brain <laughs> in like a weird way. Um, 
called um it's Dino Buzzati's poem strip. Hold on, I'm gonna grab it off my bookshelf because I have it like just No, I literally only have this. I don't have a lot of Italian comics. I just have this. Yeah, I don't either, but I hold on, I'm gonna grab it real quick before I it reminded me because um I um did a semester like a summer program in Italy in very early in college because we're did you yeah um I didn't know that yeah it was like the summer maybe I did know that <laughs> it would have been right before we met um because uh, it was the summer after my freshman year and we met when in 2012 so um I don't super remember our first meeting because I'm a jerk I'm sorry <laughs> it's okay <laughs> It's fine. Um, so this book, um, Poem Strip, including an explanation of the afterlife by Dino Buzzati, was originally published in 1969. The one I have is from like, it's like a translate, it's a translated one from 2009, translated by Marina Harse. Um, and it's this like, it's like a retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice, but set in Milan in the 1960s. Mm. And like, it's just very like each page is like one big panel um and it's very like poetic um and like i got it when i was in italy um because i just like there there would be like we we were in rome um and we were by like the river tiber and they were summer so they were doing like a summer festival so there was like um like flea market stalls and stuff like that and there was like a couple of books vendors and like my friends and i would just go and buy all the italian comics even though we couldn't like read cool. them <laughs> um um and it's just like uh, this like sort of very again um very like abstract is like i think you can tell when like you look at some of my like stuff that I have like a tendency towards like very abs kind of like abstract kind of like poetic I don't want to say like I don't I like don't think I'm good at poetry although I like writing it but like I, you know what I mean but like I um mm-hmm. I like that sort of like very like loose non-traditional um kind of like setup um but it is so we're so, so but we're in so this is like college now right um, and the one comic that I was into in college, which sort of overshadows everything else, um, and that which I am is unescapable and I can't avoid talking about is Homestuck, of course. Mm. Um, did you ever like read Homestuck or have any? Not in the least. <laughs> not, not even. In the least. I'm sure you heard like not, not people even. talking about it. <laughs> Well, I had gotten past web comics. Yeah. I, one of my f- most important web comics was Boy Meets Boy. Yeah. Have you ever read that? Um, no, but I know about it. Yeah, I loved Boy Meets Boy, which was like a slice of life with some magical realism. Mm-hmm. She's still working, by the way, the mm. author of that. She still posts comics. It's like so cool. <laughs> Old school web cartoonists keeping up their game is like <laughs> really awesome. Anyway, no, I just I was too. It just wasn't i don't know i was in like art school and i was like snobby and it looked not appeal visually appealing to me I'd, but i don't want to sit here and insult this thing that you're about to no talk about how i think it's are. it's fine you're allowed to insult it <laughs> okay the thing about homestuck is that like it's i mean i it's not like beautiful aesthetically i think there's some like what's interesting to me about it is how like multimodal it is because like 
it started out um, being literally choose your own adventure. Like there was a forum where like people would decide what happens next. And it was like riffing on those old, like on old like RPG games, basically that were like a super simple style. Um, Mm -hmm. And then like, as it sort of got bigger and like people started contributing art to it and there would be like pages, quote unquote, that were flash animations. And then there'd be pages, quote unquote, which were like games you had to play through. Um, And there was like a comic within a comic and like, it just, it was so sprawling and like complicated Mm -hmm. and like, um obviously like the fandom was a huge part of it for me because like um i used to be like very much like a fandom person um never like a fan a fandom person in the sense of like uh being big in fandom or whatever i was always like more of a watcher but like you were never a bnf no thankfully i went to college with a bunch of them it wasn't fun um (laughs) 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 Uh, i went to college uh noelle stevenson was a bnf yep <laughs> yeah, I went to college with a bunch of like homestuck cosplay BNFs, um, and it made going to like anime cons incredibly difficult. So, <laughs> oh, interesting. By the way, BNF, if you're a listener, is big name fan uh, people who are popular in the fandom, yeah. who are like literally celebrities in the yeah, fandom. Yeah, but like as a story, right? So like visually, you know, it's in the, the like multimodal, the like layers involved are really interesting to me, and just like that way of almost like really pushing how something can be presented online um because like i you know i lo- i don't really read webcomics anymore i love i liked them a lot when i was a kid because i was like a very much like always online kind of person and i had other webcomics i liked like i really liked the uh less than epic adventures of tj and amal i really liked um mickey's uh mickey quinn when you know she did BN- bf um bff um and, like, you know, things like that. But, like, you know, to me, being, like, a young adult, like, there wasn't really, a, 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 being, like, 20 and 19, whatever, there wasn't really, like, anyone really playing in the internet, right? <laughs> in, like, this way. Um, because I have, like, such a, mm. I have, like, such a fondness and uh, for, like, old, like, GeoCity sites and, like, web rings. Um, although I was, like, slightly too young for web rings. Um, they were sort of out of vogue by the time I got into them. Um, and like, just like sort of early internet kind of like when it was a lot, things weren't as constrained by like the websites that we had access to and (laughs) everyone was sort of just like doing whatever. (laughs) I had, I had my first website. I still have a personal website, but my, I built my first website. It's. 12 yeah in geocities back when you could yeah. just get a free and geocities what's fun and is like, like you could have link trees yep. that, uh, there was a lot more surfing yeah like you would link each other's and yeah all, like yeah like the hyperlinkiness of it um all of that kind of stuff is always is like still like i think like extremely cool and exciting and like and with like homestuck and i feel the same way i think about like the superhero comics that i liked as a kid and stuff like that is that like it's never so much the like plot is always just like a set dressing to me for like the characters and i think what homestuck does really well um you know it's not like the best it's not like i'm not saying like go read homestuck it'll take you like six years but um even though it was like this it was so complex of a story that like people had to make maps to try to figure out what was happening the focus was really on these character to character interactions because every page was basically um a text log between two characters that were talking to each other through like a either in person or like through like a chat right 
so like that that like style to me a very like it, it's like it doesn't matter how complex it is it's it, you're like ground it, it that's like almost like set dressing to like it's really about like the interactions between these characters that's mm-hmm. still like huge for me and also obvious like i have like a huge thing i can tell by how much you're talking about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a big it was a huge part of my life you know it was like yeah. Yeah. i made a lot of friends through homestuck Aww. but it it, it it also the um the digital thing and like of like i'm such a sucker for like epistoly narratives but i'm a big sucker which means like letter writing and stuff um but i'm a big sucker for digital uh epistolary na- narratives so like th- things where people are talking through the internet or like talking through text or like that's like a mm, huge thing mm-hmm. and that's the thing i do in like everything i write <laughs> I, like sneak in yeah I, w- I was gonna say i've read it in your opinion. yeah so that's like a huge thing for me mm-hmm. and then like but this was also so homestuck was like this huge thing but this was also um the time that i started like learning about zines basically um and like self-published comics right because I started going to shows and like it's we went we met the show that we met at by the way was Locust Moon Fest in Philly mm-hmm. which was uh this like Locust Moon was this like little comic store and they put on this like little like it was a really small like co- like comic zine fest um that I went to because I lived there like you know what I mean yeah, and I was just going to everything. This was yeah, 2012, this is 2012. Right? Yeah, so I had just graduated. I graduated college in 2011. So I was like, let me commit. I'm trying to go to every comic book convention I could find. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, and yeah. you... <laughs> And I, you, you were following me on Twitter at this point, and I wasn't following you. I had no idea who you were. I maybe have told this story on the podcast before, but I do think it's funny. I don't because like you were following me, and I had no idea who you were. And you would, I think you, you found me through a like um, a mutual friends like zine or something, and like. I like you would occasionally like t- interact with me on Twitter, which is perfectly normal. But I'm like very suspicious of people who tweet at me <laughs> because I don't. Oh. So I was just like, I like okay, and I was I think I was like I was like oh you know Locust Moonfest, and you were like yeah I'm gonna be there too, and I was like cool. And then I looked up your website, <laughs> and you had like just won the Ignats. <laughs> and I was like, wait, hold on, why is why is this very cool person talking to me? um so anyway at that show we met and i got dear amanda from you um which is on my list of most influential comics and i am gonna talk about it actually would this be 2012 this would be 2014 right because dear amanda wasn't published it would be 2014 yeah yeah because i didn't win the ignats i won the ignats in 2014 okay so yeah it would be 2014 not 2012 my apologies but still, I was just trying to go to as many as possible. Um, so, dear Amanda, which um, I I don't want to embarrass Kathy, but it was like, you know, I went to this like I went to these art schools that were very much like fine arts oriented, um, and like you know, like we were you know allowed to be experimental, but there was still like obvious there was like this because we were like quote young like learning sort of the basics of technique right was the idea. Um, there was very much this sort of like emphasis on like either like really technically proficient work or like extremely abstract work right and not really like anything in the middle Mm. and i like and then i went to this art school which um was really traditional in its program very like sort of atelier style um and so again sort of this like emphasis on like polish and um tech like being very like 
um, finished, right? Um, and there wasn't really, I didn't really like, I don't know, there was like getting like Dear Amanda and like that show was sort of my first time seeing like what something more like expressive could look like, I guess. Mm. Um, and like really just set me on this like journey of like trying to unlearn like, um, I don't want to say polished because I feel like that makes it sound like I'm saying your work isn't polished, but like um, academic maybe um, or like tra- the, the sort of like traditional comic thing of like you do the sketch and then you ink it and your lines are clean and then you color it and your colors are like well shaded, right? Or like clean and mm-hmm. like everything has to sort of be like clean, 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 right? Um, mm-hmm. And obviously also the subject of Dear Amanda, right? Which is about um, this sort of like I almost like how would you describe it? It's like um, I don't because I, I, it makes me nervous to describe your book to you. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's about it's hard to describe because this is a book that's six years yes. old now. Um, but it's about a woman who is trying to be a writer, and she definitely has like privilege, and she's trying to be a writer, and then she starts she starts this job, and she meets a trans woman, and she asks her out, um, and then they go on a a couple of dates and it's a little bit awkward and then it sort of comes out that the first woman was writing about this person right uh while she was dating her and which um it, saying it like that doesn't actually it's like almost summarizes it too much <laughs> no it's really <laughs> infinitely complex because it's like the, the the woman who's writing it, it's not like she's She's not like anthropology style writing, right? It, these, it's these letters. No, she's trying to be like a poet. Yeah, so it's these, yeah, they're like letters. so like this this person she's calling Amanda, um, but she's writing about the her the trans girl she's seeing to Amanda, um, but like in this very like abstract and like isn't it beautiful like idealized way? Like it's very like idealizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 trans woman's just like I'm a real person. <laughs> like you can't like idealize me for your art or whatever. <laughs> Um, (laughs) um, and so it just, it was very like one, again, that sort of like that I I have like such a thing for like stories about miscommunication and about like, um, doomed relationships, right. To go back to let die. Wow. I had no idea I was making this for you. No, like really, this is like such a huge book for me because it's, it didn't occur to me that it's about letters and it's about letters. It has everything. So Dear Amanda is like this perfect book. And like, you know, this is before Kathy and I were like friends. Like we had just met. We weren't like friends yet. Um, so it wasn't this, you know, like there's always like it, it, it was very like just like So you enjoying it is pure, not tainted by the fact that we're friends and that you <laughs> And that it. I love and am inspired by all of my friends. Yeah. No, um it, it was just so like, oh, this is what I want to do. And again, obviously not copying, because my work doesn't look like Kathy's, but like <laughs> that like that like um feeling of of um like really honing in on like such a nuanced where it's not like like i wouldn't say that like the woman who's trying to write is like evil right like she's just like idealizing this situation in a way that's unhealthy and like you know what i mean like so it's very like just that like nuance i don't know no it's 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 ignorant yeah it's yeah, ignorant that's why i say she has privilege she like just like kind of casually wants to move to the netherlands for no reason <laughs> yeah so it's 
do you still have copies? Do you still sell, dear Amanda? Oh, it's on your website. I don't. I don't sell copies. There will be. Um, hopefully someday there will be a collection of my old zines. Like I want to publish a collection with a publisher. Um, but you can read it for free online. You can just read it on my website, kathyjohn.net slash comics. Great. Okay. <laughs> so go read Dear Amanda. Um, Aw, thank you. <laughs> um, and so then I started getting really into, um, at, at this point, one, I stopped, I finally got over my weird thing about pretending I don't like anime or manga um, and started, because I wanted to do, for my thesis in college, I wanted to do a Magic World series. So I was like, I need to like read and watch a bunch of Magical Girl stuff to like understand it. You just saying that made our early Twitter interactions come flooding back to me. Yes, I remember. You were the magical girl person. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was doing – I started this, like, magical girl um, comic, uh, which is so funny because it's so not, like, the kind of thing I like to do now. But at the time, I was like – I think this was also, like – um college was when i started exploring gender feelings and magical girl is mm. definitely a genre about gender <laughs> so i think mm-hmm. part of my attraction to it was like i was starting to put together things <laughs> um so um from that though uh revolution and girl utena which i have obviously talked about 10 million times um i have a tattoo not just a tattoo a finger tattoo well i have the rose signet like where it would be if it was an actual signet yeah. But so the anime, obviously, but the, the manga for it is also really influential to me, um, especially like the way that the mangaka draws. Um, so like less the narrative, because like I think the anime narrative is like a little bit more like appealing to me. But the, the, the for those who like don't know, basically the way that they did Revolutionary Girl Utena is that the mangaka, Chio Saito, was part of a collective with um, Ikuhara, Kunihiko, Kunihiko Ikuhara, who also has done some Sailor Moon stuff. So Ikuhara was in this collective with Chio Saito, um, who's the woman who like came up with the idea and did the manga. Um, and they did the manga and the anime at the same time. So, like, the first arc, they're pretty close together. And then, like, after that, they kind of separate <laughs> in a lot of meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. But the manga, the paneling is so beautiful. And, like, the way that Chio Saito draws is just, like, so fluid. Um, I love sh- – she does these, like, big, strong, sharp noses <laughs> um, that I'm, like, obsessed with. Um mm-hmm. And, like, very expressive. So that was, like, a huge one for me also. Um, And then, like, um, everything I have, I think, left is, like, pretty contemporary. Do you have any, like, early career stuff you want to talk about before I get into that? Yeah. I mean, thinking about my work, it's interesting thinking about – so Dear Amanda was in 2014, so it was after these ones that I'm going to talk about. So I have uh, three more – uh, influential zines. Um, I'd say zines are my number one influence. Mm-hmm. I think because they're self-published. I think they 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 have like a raw quality to them. Yeah. So the first one is Mickey's Achilles Rav. Uh, I have number two and number three. They were published in two thousand nine. I think a lot of cartoonists of a certain age and region would cite Rav as extremely influential. Um, so I bought these at a print show in Baltimore, and Baltimore Cools uh, will know what space it was. I like completely forget now the wind-up space, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Rav really like highlights the possibilities of self-publishing. You can really do anything you want to do. It's just genuinely so mind-blowing um, when you first see Rav. It's like just like drawings are so pure. The words. The word balloons just come naturally out of the mouths. Like the mm-hmm. like it just seems like Mickey 
really has a good time drawing this stuff. And now I actually own the risograph that these were printed on. I know also with Rav, Rav sort of brought the idea of risograph and Mickey's Achille sort of brought the idea of risograph to indie comics period (laughs) so like these these original ones are brown and sort of pink and maroon um and i know like i know uh ryan sands was inspired by them which is why he went on to publish rav collections i want to say yes yeah um with youth in decline and also uh, michael deforge and uh patrick kyle also published with mickey using her risograph so I know like a lot of that early look is because of Mickey and Mickey got that risograph um that in risograph inspiration was like from I believe he was for like from Berlin like there was like a visiting artist <laughs> in Providence who had all these self-published books and they were all printed on risographs and everyone kept wanting to this is like a this is like a providence like legend this is where, so like, everyone, interesting th- there was like this guy from europe and like everyone <laughs> wanted all his books because they were printed really cool and nothing had to do with the actual content <laughs> of the book. and he was like <laughs> i feel like that's such an indie then- comic thing where you're like i don't care what it's about it just looks good <laughs> Yeah, and then so that sort of influenced someone here named Xander Morrow, and Xander uh, was a founder of the Dirt Palace, which is actually where Mm. I screen print now. Yeah, and so Xander had bought a risograph, and then Mickey printed on that, and then eventually bought her own, and that's how indie comics. That's the history of risograph and indie comics. Yeah, it was this like guy from Berlin or somewhere. That is awesome. Well, I'm sure he got it from somewhere. I'm sure this history could continue farther back if you wanted it. Um, But yeah, so I have this risograph now, and it's really cool. And it's actually what I printed Dear Amanda on. I printed it at Mickey's studio before she moved to New York City, um, which is why I have her risograph now. Um, But this is the same machine. I don't know. It's really That is so cool. It's cool to own a little piece of history. Yeah. It is old and a pain in the butt and (laughs) deserves a lot of needs a lot of TLC but you gotta put it in the museum <laughs> we got <laughs> when it finally dies it you gotta go put museum. it in like the Billy Ireland collection or something <laughs> hey if they want to buy it from me and buy movers to move it I would be happy to actually <laughs> um no I love it kisses to my risograph machine um and then another series that was really important is the rot series uh, mm. by Arthur Katrina. This one I have wrought number four from 2012. I think this is my first one. I have the older ones that I bought after reading this one, but I think this is my first one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a zine. It's very sincere. It's sort of about building a new world. Um, mm. And the, it's like the kind of like queer art that was like genuinely queer, mm-hmm. right? So this yeah. is like art, not just gay or not just like gay relationships which is what i was reading in like manga and stuff this was like queer people in the united states and this is like art that really helps helped me see the world and continues to help me see the world with new eyes at different angles their art style is really specific and detailed like you can recognize like this brand of stereo that they're drawing and yet it's like really approachable it's also documenting a very specific time and place. Like this is 2012 in Providence, queer punks, yeah. what life was like. And also I really like this one because Soda Cat is in this one, which is a cat that lived in my friend's house um, <laughs> that I actually named my character Soda Can <gasps> after in oh. the breakaways. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, like, which is funny because I named Soda Cat is named after Soda Cans, the object. But my ca- my character is named after Soda Cat, who's named after Soda Can. <laughs> so um, and also from Arthur, I learned how to make free copies on Xerox machines. So a lot of my early zines after high school and um, like in my early career stuff, um, when I first moved to Providence, were made with this technique that Arthur showed me on the same Xerox machines. So there's just like a lot of Providence love in these two. (laughs) And hopefully someday I'm going to get a tattoo from them because Arthur is also, uh, Arthur moved to New York City. They've moved Mm -hmm. like to California and now they're in New York City and they're doing a lot of mutual aid stuff right now. They're actually working with a group called Club A Kitchen, which I've posted about on Twitter before, but NL posted on Drawing a Dialogue, um, our Twitter account when this comes out. But it's like, just like a really, genuine good person that really their work really quite means a lot to me and i think they have like issue nine issues out of the zine um and you can get it on their website which is mbdx.life which is milkbone damp xerox (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) good url um, and also they are i believe they're finnish they're they have family from finland and they uh, through rot zine is how i learned about moomin and and like the queerness of moomin and like how a little dog wanted to be a little cat (laughs) like how that is like being trans just a really important zine i think i will always make zines for the rest of my life (laughs) like i just put out a new zine which is like black hole heart which is my new zine but like even like little zines travel zines that aren't Mm -hmm. like actual big comic stories i think will always be a part of my life and then the last zine that i want to talk about is in situ i have number two um from 2012 it's by sophie yano um so this absolutely blew my mind when i first read this zine i mean all of these zines that i just talked about blew my mind when i first read them and all their authors are now my friends yeah it just like which is a lot like dear amanda right you're like who is this person it's like they're talking directly to me and my brain is exploding <laughs> <I know. laughs> um and what's great about in situ is it's sort of self the style is like comic is like self-edited as it's being created it feels really present mm. this uh sophie Yano's style it feels like like she just drew right in front of you and handed this piece of paper to you like it's just so present and both these two zines are sort of about everyday punk life which mm-hmm. i can really relate to there's also something about punk life wh- that is material as well as very philosophical that I'm really drawn to. So like the material realities of existence, where to sleep, how to heat your home, what to eat, as well as seeing the value and importance of what life is and how to work to change everyone's life in a positive, radical way. I feel like this is what is so attractive to me about this stuff because it's like very material. It's a zine. It's like just stapled together in someone's basement. But then it also is super philosophical. And that's just the kind of work that I'm like really, really drawn to. Um, and that's it. That's it for me. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, it's like, and that's nice too, because I feel like now, you know, I I basically only, like, zines are like my big thing now. Like, I, I basically only, like, not only, but like, those are like my biggest, I think, influences. Like I said, I came to them pretty late. 
but like once i found them i was like oh this is it <laughs> this is the thing yeah um because it's like self-published yeah it's radical there isn't a lot of overhead yeah. like stuff from publishers from mainstream publishers are edited mm -hmm. they go through so much censorship it's like to be able to zines are so direct yeah they're yeah and it, it, it i mean like that's why there's so even like all of the the, the like uh scholarship on zines is like it, it's about that directness it's about that like intimacy um the immediacy of it and it, it's just like Mm -hmm. Something about like that being a space where you don't have to worry so much about getting it perfect, which is hard for me. You don't have to be perfect, Remus. Yeah, I know it's hard. Um, <laughs> so like I, I'm just gonna super briefly talk about like um, this isn't a zine, but I would be remiss not to mention it. Pinky and Pepper Forever by Ivy Adams, which was published by um, Silver Sprocket, and it's not as it's like a book, but it's like I mean it's like. Ivy's a zine artist also, so, like, it feels, like, it's a published book, but it feels like a zine. Um, like, just visually. Yeah, and, and Silver Sprocket is a punk publisher. Yeah, they're a punk publisher. Um, but, like, I, I, Ivy's work, like, Pinky and Pepper is just so, like, raw and so, like, again, that's sort of, like, that style of just, like, being very expressive um, and very, like, emotional um, and loose and fluid. Um, and then I'm, I'm like, super obviously, um, like, basically all zines by trans people. <laughs> um, so, like, I've talked about You Don't Have to Be Afraid of Me and Today Chop Boob Slash before. Um, you Don't Have to Be Afraid of Me by Vic Martin and Today Chop Boob Slash by um, Higu Rose. Carter Monier's, uh selfie zines, which are, like, um, they're not, like, comics per se, but, like, there's zines and they're definitely, like, still in, like, an image text category um mm. where they're like little tiny they're teeny teeny little books um that she prints using a <laughs> using a game boy advance camera um and it's like selfies with like text over the selfies and it's very much about like you know transness and being seen and like kind of like working through what that means right um and, mm -hmm. and like, uh, you know, at this point in my life, I basically just like whenever I'm in a place that sells zines, I just like sweep through and pick up anything that looks like good. <laughs> um, totally. I'm yeah. very like, especially things that are pencil. Um, I have this little pencil zine from Perfectly Acceptable Press um, by Brianna Rose Brooks, which is just like scribbled pencil drawings and then writing uh, that i'm like obsessed with um mm. i and then like like sunmi's work like um anything oh yeah i love sunmi's anything work, yeah. sunmi does right like again that very like emotionally present um i'm holding love letter to the sea to sea goddesses but like anything sunmi does is like marvelous um and very inspiring to me and then like um um, Joe uh, Seosam, um, S-E-O-S-A-M-H, sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, Joe, um, who does, mm. uh, who works on Superpose uh, with their uh, partner, but also does these, like, amazing paintings of, like, trans... Oh, that Joe! Yeah! Um, yeah. I picked up this little tiny book um, from him um, called, it's called Prayer Book of the Son of St. Marinos, um, and it's printed, it's like pencil drawings that are printed on like uh, vellum so that they're like a little bit transparent and like you can like see through the pages. Um, and like 
that I'm like hugely into um, pencil work. I'm hugely into folks who are like playing with texture um, and like different types of paper and stuff like that. I have a little bit of a like art book thing in me. Mm. But yeah, I mean, that's like the big, those are like the big ones I think of, of just like right now, basically just like anything my friends do and then also anything in pencil that's <laughs> like a little experimental because mm. um, I've been like thinking a lot more about like I feel like the kind of like stories I like to tell are like so at this point like not like cinched forever but like so influenced by like my early influences are like so like mm. codified that like right now what I'm like most influenced by is like different like aesthetic decisions that people are making because I'm still like trying to figure out that for myself mm. and that's it I think cool yeah I mean we can move into conclusion I think that is also very conclusionary um, <laughs> yeah that's so this is you know our segment uh so like the conclusion segment uh so what did we learn what are our goals what are our takeaways you know, thinking about influence, it is like, like, we wanted to talk about specifically, this is a comics podcast, we wanted to talk about comics, right. but I feel like influences come from everywhere, Yeah, right? Like, like, fine art, um, nature, uh, our relationships with other people, um, music, uh, I get a lot of influence um, from poetry. Mm -hmm. um, so like, all that stuff is to say that even though we just talked about comics in this episode when we we're talking about influential comics, it also um, we're also deeply influenced by all sorts of stuff, which yes. I encourage cartoonists um, to, I was going to say young cartoonists, but literally everyone, it doesn't matter what your age is, um, to, be, to find influence in everything. And in fact, I encourage you to find influence outside of the medium that you're choosing to work in. So, like, I was thinking about how, so, like, a lot of the comics that I wrote about are, like, work that isn't super labored over. Right. Like, I really love uh, work that looks like it's drawn quickly. Mm -hmm. It's drawn, um, like, uh, naturally or something like that. Um, not simply. That's not what I mean. But yeah. Like, this, like, sort of, like, I just need to get this out kind of style. I love that kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of weird because I feel like my work... I really kind of labor over it a lot. Um, it, it feels... <laughs> I'm trying, I'm... Your work feels, like, it feels very expressive. It doesn't feel... Like, you can tell that you, like, think a lot about mark making. Mm. And it feels... Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, like, I think I told you this, but, I've like, in my master's thesis, I, I called your work sculptural. Um, in the sense that, like, it, Thank you. it feels... It, it feels... It doesn't... Not that it's, like, built up or shaded or whatever, but that, like, it, you can tell, like... It's expressive, but you can tell that you're, like, going somewhere specific, um, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think in layers. I don't yes. think very two-dimensionally, actually. Yeah. <laughs> which is weird, because I work mainly two-dimensionally, which isn't actually the case. But I think very much in layers, because I feel like I'm a printmaker, which I, I think about building up a lot, um, rather than sort of this two-dimensional thinking. I don't think very... I'm, like really not a designer yeah. <laughs> like really really not a designer like I think very sculpturally I like I absolutely agree with you Remus that's like de definitely 100% the case with my work and I feel like it's like I it's, it's like a style that I admire and I enjoy to 
reading um but it's like i have a hard time doing it mm -hmm. um and so i think about like uh, another artist that i love is john darneal of the mountain goats he's the yeah. um, front person of the mountain goats he writes all the lyrics and is the singer sometimes and then uh he also is an author he has a few books out and so he talks about how he doesn't really listen to singer songwriters even though he was considered his work has shifted a little bit in the last couple albums. Don't get me started. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he used to be kind of really a singer-songwriter, yeah. right? In his, like, lo-fi days in the 90s and stuff. Um, but he didn't listen to singer-songwriters. His work is really influenced by heavy metal. Like, he mm. almost only listens to heavy metal. And I feel that way. Like, I really understand. Like, there's themes of these kind of this kind of style of comic and zine making that I'm very attracted to, but like my actual work is a shift from that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think that makes yeah. sense because I feel like, you know, when I th like the most influential things for me, I think are actually like film and which like kind of mm -hmm. sucks because now like there's all this discourse about like comics just being made to be turned into movies or whatever. But like, I just, I'm just going to tell you right now to, to the, the audience. It, it, who cares? Yeah. I mean, unless it's like an evil company, like I'm just going to shout out boom. Sure. Like who yeah. literally isn't paying anyone, but it's like an IP farm. Don't do that. Like sign good contracts. Of course. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a screenwriter and writing and making comics first. Like there's nothing wrong yeah. with that at all. <laughs> and I don't and to be clear, like I don't want to do that, but like I the way that I think is very like filmic. Um like when I'm like laying out images and stuff huh. is like very like filmic. Um Yeah, of course. Cinematographers are great, talented. Yeah. That's the thing is like I did photography in middle school and like it really like the way I think about composition and stuff was really like informed by that. But also mm. like just like books, you know what I mean? Just like fiction. Um, I honestly don't read yeah. that many comics <laughs> anymore. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I read like a comic a day. I know you read so much. I'm always I, so impressed. I read comics like constantly. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not getting a PhD right now. <laughs> I don't know how to read. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for talking with me about your influential, the influential comics <laughs> that you've that you like <laughs> do you want to do are you gonna do um schools or the community or are you are we ready to sort of wrap up yeah so for schools or the community so this is the segment in which i talk about providence public schools which had a state takeover in november 1st 2019 it's it's been hard it's mm -hmm. it's hard to um uh so the school had planned to open um just like open to everyone and now they are pushing it back mm. by two weeks to help the schools to have time to prepare i think is the idea but it's really i mean it's a part of the stress is just not having a clear plan and clear just not having clarity and so just pushing it back two weeks is only more anxiety producing. It's it's really uh, frustrating what's happening. But also I want to be clear that I'm not super. So like Providence Public Schools, um, it's there's a lot of anxiety right now. Yeah. In life in general, um, the pandemic is making a lot of decisions very difficult. And I think something that I find very frustrating is how the situation has not changed. Yeah. Since March. Um, so why are we pushing 
to go back in person when things haven't changed very much. We just know that we need to be away from each other. And yet we're still pushing to be together. And I just find it very unusual and anxiety producing and mm-hmm. unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and I just think that truly the Trump administration has like screwed over the entire United States population. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really, it was so mishandled. There's no clarity in instruction. The mm-hmm. fact that they are refusing to accept the situation and offer clarity and in instruction is causing every individual school, every individual community center, every individual library um, to have to make their own decisions. And therefore, and none of us, None of us are infectious disease experts. Yeah. Right. So it just seems it's 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 just such a horrible position to put everyone and everything into that there isn't any right or wrong choice because there isn't a proper instruction. Um and I just find it really frustrating and it's just like mm-hmm. it's easy to talk in circles around it because in the end our administration failed us. Yeah. Horribly. It continues to fail us. Yeah. And so you can I can be mad at the superintendent, I can be mad at the principals, I can be mad at wh- whoever, but in the end it's just the administration who yeah. has screwed over everyone so much. Yeah, for sure. Um and again, so it's hard to get information. If it's hard for me to get information, just imagine what students' families are feeling. Yeah. Um, and I, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. And honestly, I've been getting invited to, I have a couple of meetings that I'm invited to, and I am so anxious about my own school opening that I'm probably not going to attend those meetings. Yeah, I mean, that makes um, sense. You gotta. You also have to worry about your own your own situation, so... So I do, I am going to keep an eye. We're going to keep the segment, Schools of the Community. Yeah. I'm not going to give up on Providence Public Schools, but it is quite the mess. It's a mess. Yeah. And that's it. That's my segment. Okay. Um, so then do we have any letters to the editor? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> let's just, um, <laughs> we're going to skip past um, letters to so the editor. This is our e- so this is our segment, Letters to the Editor. We haven't gotten any letters. Um, lots of love to you all. Yeah. Um, uh, Remus did do a teaching thing. We talked about it back in July. Uh, Remus did a teaching thing on um, through Radiator Comics. Yes, they did. Um, it was really cool. It was about penciling. It was really cool. I believe you can see it on YouTube, right? Is it documented? Yeah, they've all of the Radiator things have been recorded. Um, I'm not sure. I think the penciling one is up on YouTube, but they will all be up eventually, so... Yeah, so I really recommend checking that out, which is, it's funny because I was watching it and, you know, Remus, obviously we are friends and we know each other um, since, uh, for six years now, apparently. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, and also my friend Mar Julia mm-hmm. and Remus's best friend for, I don't know, 20 years or something. <laughs> 16. Um, 16, so different from 20. Um we're on it and it was just really funny listening to them talking about penciling because it's we're all such different artists i learned so much even though i talk to them like every day (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just really fascinating no i love hearing um friends and colleagues uh describe their process because it's always so different and cool it's always so different and you know listening to your friends in different contexts like this was a more professional context and hearing you all talk Really was like really cool. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks. I'm glad you came. I, I was just there to like support you guys. I wasn't there to learn. <laughs> and then here I am. I t- was taking notes. <laughs> and then also for letters to the editor, I want to mention um I have my YouTube channel. Yes. I last time we talked, I hadn't made any videos yet, but now I have tons of videos which are kid art activities. They're totally all ages appropriate. In fact, if you start it and you're like a teenager, you might be disappointed. They're definitely for younger kids. <laughs> um <laughs> but I also have adult videos, um, so videos for older audiences that aren't like kid activities. But I have like kid art activities if you need stuff to do with your kids, especially if you aren't, if you decided to not enroll them in school. I know a lot of like pre-K age parents are deciding to not uh, enroll their preschooler. Um, you know, if you're looking for stuff, I have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash C slash Kathy G. Johnson. Nice. Um, you can go check those out. Yeah. And then also you can send us letters. If you want to email us, you can email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. Yeah. And now it is time for our goodbyes. So thank you to Downtown Boys for their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. You can buy it off their band camp. Um, you can find uh, the show notes, which I think uh, will have like pictures of zines and stuff maybe this time. Um, yes, Remus is going to send me photos of the zines that are laying in front of them right now. <laughs> so I got them. <laughs> so we're going to post those. Um, and uh, that is on drawingadialogue.com. Um, and that is hosted by Kathy's great website, Comic Art Ed, which, as the name implies, uh, is about comic arts education. Yeah. All the videos are on there, too. Awesome. By the way, if you go to comicarted.com. Cool. Just- you don't have to go to the YouTube because YouTube is sometimes evil. It is. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, you can also email us, like Kathy just said, at drawingadialogue.com. You can follow us on Twitter at drawadialogue.com. No, not .com. Just drawadialogue. <laughs> um, um, you can follow me on Twitter at um, Remus Maurice. I don't know. It's Remus Maurice. I just ch- It's because I changed it, I think, since the last time. I finally put it to my name. Um and congratulations jack remus jack you we meant we talked about this last time but yeah yes oh we did okay well it's it's uh remus jackson was taken so it's at remus maurice which is r-e-m-u-s-m-a-u-r-i-s-e you can follow me at kathy g john on instagram twitter i don't know i post a lot it's a (laughs) pandemic i'm quarantined i don't know check it out i've been doing live streams on youtube i got nothing to do man it's not because I want to be popular. It's because I just am desperate for human interaction. You are such a type A person. I love it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You've lo- You're like, I need something to do. I'm going to launch five projects. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. But don't worry about it because there's convenient links. They all link <laughs> to each other. So you find one, you find them all. Perfect. Um, What are you reading? I know we just sort of talked about what we're reading, but... Oh, no, that's old stuff. (laughs) So I'm reading right now. I'm reading uh, Dancing at the Pity Party, a dead mom graphic memoir. It is by Tyler Fetter. Um, It's published by uh, Penguin Graphics. Um, I literally just started it this morning. My right now, my grandfather is dying, which he's 94. Um, He's comfortable. It's very sad, though, because he, he is in minnesota so i can't visit him mm. um so i'm just i'm sending vi- like videos of me saying i love him and stuff and say goodbye um so it's a, sort of nice reading about a memoir about 
grief and loss right now makes me feel like I'm not alone. Oh, what are you reading? Remus? Um, I am reading a book called Picturing the Postcard, a new media crisis in the turn of the century by Monica Cure. It is published by University mm. of Minnesota Press. Minnesota. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> it's a book about um, it's a it's a literary criticism book about or I guess. No, it's like a media studies book about um, the postcard and like the history of the postcard and basically sort of analyzing the postcard as a new media, which in scholarship um, and like academia is normally used to refer to like digital media, right? Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. she's basically making an argument that like we be, the you know that new media just means media that was new when it was introduced. So we can go oh. back, we can go back and read the emergence of the postcard as like a new media form. Um, but I'm writing a book review about it, so I've been working on reading it <laughs> slowly. Um, oh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's not like super jargony, so if you are like interested in like postcard. It's kind of cool if you just want to pick up like a like a, a like a um, easy to read academic text, accessible academic text about uh, postcards. <laughs> cool. All right. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. Solidarity forever. Bye. 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 <laughs>